So years ago, uh, a group of friends were out for dinner after attending a conference for the day. And uh, we had joined in with some other friends who were from another church. And one of those friends uh, brought a spouse with them that we had never met before. So the spouse was having some kind of get to know you conversation with uh, some members of our team and talking specifically to the person sitting right beside them at, at dinner, one of our buddies, and uh, kind of opened the conversation asking how the day's sessions went. And uh, so the response of one of our buddies was that they, they, they didn't feel that great about the day's sessions because in their words, they, they felt that they were pretty American. And I don't want to get into what I think that means or I'm just kind of the messenger in the, in the story. So th th these opinions are not my own. But uh, the, the, the spouse then asked them, you know, what, what, what they meant by that. And they, they kind of explained that what they meant was that the day was sort of filled with this, this attitude or this aura of we've got everything together and we know what's best and so you should do everything the way we do. That was sort of the spirit of the, the vibe that they received from the, from the conference. Well, then the spouse started to ask some more probing questions to say, well, you know, as Canadians, like, isn't that, isn't that kind of true? Uh, I guess, you know, that's, that's sort of why we're at the conference to, to learn and, and, uh, and to take some stuff home and, and, you know, kind of as a nation, isn't that sort of how we relate to the U.S. being so dependent on, you know, their, their innovations and econ economy and military and things like that? And, and that sort of got my buddy going a little bit more. And, you know, then he got into how, you know, typically, you know, the American approach would be to talk about the military and it always comes down to the military and they're always defending us and kind of this big brother, little brother thing. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sitting here watching this conversation, watching this philosophical kind of ping pong match go back and forth and, and escalate until this very awkward moment where my friend finally finds out that this person he's just met that he's, that he's talking to um, actually is an American citizen with military background. <laughs> and if you think that that would have like stopped the conversation, it, it didn't. It went back and forth and back and forth with greater and greater escalation so that by the time the meal came and we're actually having like the main, the main course dinner, um, we're, we're like looking for cover. I'm thinking I'm going to need a bunker here because some World War III is going to break out. They were so animated. And I tell you that because I was reminded of it this past week because the spouse's uh, spouse, our, our friend, I ran into them this past week. And I mean, this is probably close to 10 years ago. We were still reminiscing about that dinner that we had together and, and that specific conversation. And as we were kind of sheepishly laughing about it, sort of, um, we, were, we were asking ourselves again, like, how did that actually happen? How did, you know, two people who just attended a Christian conference end up basically having a scrap uh, at the dinner table about what seemed at first like very innocent ideas and and comments. And I share that because that's the question I want all of us to consider today. As we consider this, as we continue this series called The Gospel of Us, looking at the heart attitudes that undergird this journey that we've been on called Love Beyond Belief. How does something like that actually happen? Not what behaviors do people bring to the table or what circumstances, specifically in that example, contributed to it. But at its core... What precipitates those kinds of conversations? Well, what precipitates those kinds of arguments and disagreements and makes them go so, so sideways? 
And what I want us to do to kind of camp out on that is to reflect on, on what I'm going to call today the power of polarized positions. The power of polarized positions. Because as I see it, that, that in a lot of ways is what's happening in a dynamic like that. We're, we're witnessing the power of polarized positions. This is, this is what I mean. When you form an opinion about something, when you research or, you know, read up or learn about something or just, just consciously make a decision and, and develop a, a conviction or an opinion about something, you become kind of personally invested in that opinion, in that, in that position. And, you know, the more you kind of reflect and the more it matters and the more, you know, the greater stakes of that position that you're developing that opinion or conviction, the, the more it actually matters to you, the more emotionally invested you actually, you actually get. It, 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 to the point where sometimes it matters so much that that opinion can actually kind of become part of your identity at, at an emotional, even, even kind of a psychological level, where you're, whether you're conscious of it or not. You think of someone who researches and, and develops an opinion on diet and becomes a vegetarian or a, or a or vegan, they will, they will see themselves as vegan. It's not that they've adopted this conviction about how to eat food, you know, how, how they're going to uh, treat their diet and whether they're going to eat, uh, you know, animals or animal products or anything. They see themselves as a vegan. They actually become that because it becomes kind of part of your, you know, part of your identity. And so what happens then is when we find ourselves in a situation with another person who equally as consciously and equally as deliberately has developed a, a, an opinion or a conviction that is contrary to ours, that is in opposition to ours, because our position and opinion was established and, and we're now emotionally invested, we feel that conflict emotionally. And in fact, we feel that conflict if we care about it enough and, and our identity even becomes kind of wrapped in, we feel it as at an identity level. We feel it personally. And even if no one intends to offend or affect each other adversely, and even if everyone's behaving properly and, and caringly and what... Uh, we may unconsciously not realize the power that these polarizing positions have. The power that these have to hurt, the power that they have to affect, the power that they have to offend, the power they have to divide, and ultimately take relationships and conversations sideways. I believe at its core that that's what happened to my buddy and my friend's spouse as they started talking and, you know, comments were made about, you know, ideas about Americans and about the military with someone who is American and from the military and believes in those things very deeply. All of a sudden, you have two conflicting polarized positions and simply the power of those positions began to take root and affect people. I believe that's what's happening even to the case where in, in the most extreme cases, where you feel something so strongly and another person feels something divergently but equally strongly, you can actually feel as if that person is your enemy. You can feel as if that person is your enemy because it feels emotionally and psychologically like they are so at odds with you just because they hold a contrary position to what you hold dear and are emotionally, if not in your identity, invested in. 
And I say all that to kind of unpack the, the, the root of some of these, you know, divides and some of these some of these arguments, because I feel like this is a very key thing for us to become aware of at this stage in the journey of love beyond belief. We've been talking about this since September. We had a series in the fall that dug into what we mean by love beyond belief. And now we've been looking at some heart attitudes. And so, you know, as a church and as life groups, we've, we've been engaging in this conversation again. And at this point now, having kind of taken a third series look at this and a, a third kick at the can, you know, I'm even starting to hear some people wonder what the big deal is and why we just can't, you know, hold positions and just be nice to people and what, what we have to have all these conversations about. You know, people will say, why can't we just, you know, believe stuff and stand for truth? And, you know, do we really need to care about all this, all this other stuff? And obviously, or maybe not obviously, because I'm going to restate it. Obviously, we can believe things and are free to believe what, what we believe is uh, true, especially about things of faith. Obviously, we can stand for truth. In fact, the scriptures expect it. We've said again and again that the journey of love beyond belief is not one of abandoning beliefs. It's not one of becoming wishy-washy and denying what it is that you believe. In fact, to the contrary, we've said many times that the journey of love beyond belief ought to strengthen our convictions and deepen the convictions with, you know, especially ones that we believe uh, significantly about issues of faith. Love beyond belief is not supposed to weaken our convictions. It's supposed to strengthen them. But as we do that, we need to become aware of the power that those positions have and the impact that they can have on other people. In that sense, we can stand for truth, but we can't just stand for truth to the ignorance of the impact of that truth because of what I'm describing today as the power of polarizing positions and the impact they can have on people. For a long time, I was not aware of this. And it was only a year or so ago that I was in a, a conversation that I first had kind of an aha moment of, of this, this impact that positions can have. I was spending some time with a group of our female staff. We were getting together uh, on a regular basis for leadership and leadership development kind of conversations. We were having great conversations. And this particular day, we were talking about a very similar dynamic to the dynamic of love beyond belief. We just didn't have the language there. We were talking about unity within diversity. And uh, to try to think of a, an example of this, to try to uh, be able to talk about, I, I, I had one from our office that I thought would be very relevant to these female staff. And so I, I was using the example of the differing positions in the theology of women in ministry, which obviously is something that applies to these female staff. And just as a bit of a quick tutorial, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with, with the sort of theological camps, you know, one theological camp, it's called complementarian. Um, they believe that men and women were created equally, but they were created differently. And those differences are intended to complement each other. So in the church, they exercise complementary roles where men provide leadership and women provide support to the men who provide leadership. That's a complementarian uh, view of women in ministry. Then on the other side uh, of the theological divide, there's, there's a view called the egalitarian view, which 
as well, sees men and women as created equally, but in that equality sees the availability of the work of Christ and of the spirit of Christ as equally accessible to men and women, and therefore the gifts of the Holy Spirit are equally accessible to men and women, and therefore in the church it should be equally accessible for men and women to exercise those gifts that the Holy Spirit has made accessible to men and women equally. And so in both cases, Men and women are understood to be created equally, but in the complementarian view, they complement each other, and in the egalitarian view, they can serve in the same ways equally uh, throughout the church. Okay? Quick tutorial. So I'm having this conversation with our female staff, and I said, you know, even though as a, as a church, we would land on more the egalitarian side and are really trying to work at empowering women in exercising their gifts of teaching and leadership and things like that, um, I explained to these staff that at the time, we actually had a staff member who held the complementarian view. And they had disclosed that to us, and, and uh, so we knew about that as a, as a leadership. Um, they were cool with, you know, understanding the church that they were a part of. They were gonna, weren't going to uh, kind of speak or, or, or espouse a view uh, contrary to that. They were g- weren't going to create division. They were going to be submissive to that. No one would have known who that, who that uh, staff member was. They were just going to be, you know, fine serving, relating to women, no problem. But at a personal level, they held that view. And so I was sharing with these female staff how, you know, with this complementarian on staff, it's kind of cool that we can be unified amidst that diversity and thought that that would be a great example that would really empower them and and really encourage them in the conversation we were having about unity and diversity. But I haven't been known to understand women. So, uh, you know, forgive me for that. I was absolutely blown away with the impact that that information had on this group of female staff. I tried to kind of unpack things because I could tell with the looks on their faces that this was frazzling them. And, And as we talked about it, I realized that to them, just knowing that they had a teammate who theologically believed that they shouldn't even be playing in the roles of leadership that they're playing, that they shouldn't be fulfilling those roles that they believed were spiritual callings for them, that was devastating to them. And they didn't know who this person was. This person had never done anything offensive to them or, or behaved in a way that would offend them. It was the position itself and the fact that someone held that position that was devastatingly hurtful to them. And it really caused me to reflect on how that happened. And it, it, it was kind of the moment for me when I first became aware of the power and the detrimental impact that simply positions that are polarizing can have on people. Since then, I've I've seen it all over the place and I've been reflecting on it, you know, even in my own life, even even retroactively. I remember years ago, uh, I I was in relationship a lot with someone who who held the conviction or, or was of the opinion that hard work was defined as physical labor. It's just a, a, an opinion that they, that they held and that they would uh, communicate with some regularity. And every time they would say that, it would really bother me. And I never understood why. And, and now I knew that they weren't intending to be hurtful or to bother me or anybody else with, with that opinion. They were just free to express their opinion. That's what they believed, that, that hard work was expressed through physical work. And, you know, they believed, believed basically if you didn't crack a sweater, your hands weren't calloused, you didn't really 
work hard. And I realize now retroactively with the power of polarizing positions that I actually had a bit of a different opinion. And without articulating it, you know, coming from a, a, a long distance running background, I, I, I felt like I knew a thing or two about hard work. But in a role like mine that doesn't typically crack a sweat and doesn't, you know, really get calloused hands all that much, I, I felt like, like roles like mine demanded a, a fair amount of work, not that I'm trying to have a pity party or anything, but you, know, you can work hard in, in, in roles like mine. And I realized now retroactively thinking about this, that even though that person wasn't intending to, by holding that contrary position to the one that I hold, that, that I'm somewhat emotionally invested in, that was having a hurtful impact on me. That position, not the person, but the position was hurtful to me. That position was offensive to me. That that position had an adverse impact on me. And I've seen it again and again and again with positions that, that hurt me and with positions that I and others hold that just by the position alone can devastatingly sometimes hurt other people. And so if you're here today and you're wondering why we're continuing to make such a big deal about this journey called love beyond belief, why we can't just be free to believe and stand for truth, we can believe and stand for truth, but we can't just believe and stand for truth to the ignorance of the impact that that truth or that those positions have potentially on other people because to ignore the impact that our positions have on other people is to be insensitive and inconsiderate of other people which is categorically not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's why we can't just care about the truth and nothing else. That's why for example the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. We've looked at this before, where he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not also have love, I am nothing. Why does the Apostle Paul say that you can know everything about everything when it comes to faith and spirituality? Your positions and your theology can be exactly right, but you can still be of no value in the kingdom of God. How is that possible? Because to just be right or to just have opinions or positions that are accurate to the inconsideration of other people is not fully and completely what it means to be productive as a follower of Jesus. It requires more than just holding the positions. That's what it means in Ephesians 4.15 as well. It's not just about sharing our ideas or speaking truth. Paul says speaking the truth in a certain way, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. In order for us as a community to fully mature into the full potential of what God intends, and in order for us to fully relate to the surrounding society where God's placed us, it's not just a matter of speaking what you understand to be true. It's a matter of speaking what you understand to be true in a certain manner. It's holding a position in a certain posture. That's why we've not denied the importance of developing convictions and holding positions. In fact, this whole time we've been anchoring this conversation in 1 Peter 3, but in the same passage, there's a very important but that it goes along with it. Look what it says in 1 Peter 3 verse 15. 
It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Develop convictions, establish them, strengthen them. Always know why it is that you believe what you believe. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The journey that we're on, gang, is so important because as we grow and develop in our convictions, to follow Jesus fully and completely and comprehensively is not just to deepen and sharpen our convictions and establish stronger theological positions. It also requires us learning and growing in the posture of how to hold those positions in a way that can unify instead of divide. And today, three weeks into this uh, Love Beyond Belief kind of heart series called The Gospel of Us, we've looked at some of those postures. We've looked at the posture of hospitality. We've looked at the posture of humility. And today we want to look at the posture that responds to this awareness of the power of polarized positions. That realizes that there is a way that holding positions can divide and hurt and offend and even create enemies among two people, even if it's unintended. And so the heart, the heart attitude that we want to look at today is simply a heart attitude that is unwilling to be okay with that. A heart attitude that says, I understand the potency, the power of polarized positions, but I'm not prepared to let things stay that way. I'm going to do something about it. The Bible has a name for that heart attitude. Jesus originally called that heart attitude the heart attitude of peacemaking. Said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, whose hearts are into peacemaking, for they will be called children of God. Notice that he doesn't call them peacekeepers, people who retain peace where there already is peace. He says, no, blessed are the peacemakers, people who will cause and create and contribute to establishing peace where there formerly lacks Peace. Where conflict exists, a peacemaker seeks to resolve that conflict to create reconciliation with a person with whom they're formerly experiencing division. That's the heart attitude that I believe God wants us to reflect on today as we become aware of the power that polarized positions can have on people and relationships. So if you're taking notes today, I want to kind of look at uh, a few things, five things in particular that peacemaking involves, five different features of, of heart attitudes that, that uh, as we're scribbling them down, we can process this week. Um, the first one involves what I call ownership. Part of peacemaking involves ownership. That's the responsibility to say that as a Jesus follower, I'm going to be a person of peacemaking and whatever divide I'm experiencing in a relationship, even if it's just because of a, a difference in position or opinion that's having an adverse effect on one another, I'm going to take the responsibility to rebuild that bridge. Look at what it says in Romans 12. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
So it's not enough to just stand for truth and to be okay with the divide that it creates in people. It's not okay to be okay with that divide. A peacemaker says, I'm responsible for actually closing that divide as far as it depends on me. And as a peacemaker, you take the burden of reconciliation and the burden of conflict resolution on your shoulders and try to you know, make those amends as far as it depends on you. Related to that, I would say that peacemaking involves initiation. Peacemaking involves taking the first step, not waiting for someone else to take the step of initiative to reconcile and resolve conflict with you based on a difference of opinion or position. Look at what it says in Romans 5. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. The Bible says that God's nature was not just to wait for you and I to do things to close the gap of relationship that had been created by our sin. While we were still enemies, while we were still on opposite sides of that chasm as God, the Bible says that God reached out and God did what it took to close that divide among us. The nature of God is to initiate reconciliation, to initiate conflict resolution. And as people who are seeking to follow in the image of God through his son, Jesus Christ, we would do the same. So we would not only bear responsibility as peacemakers to build those bridges, we would take the initiative to take steps to build them first. One of those steps, as I see it, involves granting forgiveness. I think part of peacemaking involves forgiveness. Think about it. If you find yourself, you know, at odds with someone ideologically, but you're emotionally invested and they're emotionally invested, or one or both of you, you know, is feeling this at an, at an identity level, um, you could be really offending or hurting one another. And in some cases, as I've already talked about, in, in some cases that I can recall, um, you know, I felt really hurt. And what I need to do, and what we need to do, is realize that in those situations, it's the power of polarized positions that is causing the hurt, not the person. And we need to realize that they're not even probably intending to do that and to grant forgiveness and take initiative to be gracious in that sense. Look at what Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross for the sin of you and me in Luke chapter 23. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Think about that. If you're able to do that in those moments of polarized discussion and, and, and debate to say, you know what? This is offensive. This is hurtful to me, but I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to build the bridge. And part of that is I'm going to grant them forgiveness. I'm going to extend grace to them because they don't even know what they're doing. They're not even meaning probably to, to hurt me, but I'm going to grant them forgiveness because they are. In the inverse way, I think that part of peacemaking involves apology. Some of you might think, well, what do I need to apologize for? It's just the position that's hurting people. But look at what it says in Proverbs 14, 9. Fools mock at making amends, but goodwill is found among the upright. Fools mock at making amends. Don't just mock, oh, I, I don't need to apologize for that. If I've learned one thing in the last number of years of my marriage with Becky, which by the way, happy birthday today, Becky. I love you, way to go. Um, if I've learned one thing, it's that simply owning your intent is not enough. You can intend not to hurt someone, but have the impact of hurting someone. And you know what? You still need to clean it up. You can't just say, oh, didn't mean to, not my problem. If you caused hurt by impact, even if it wasn't your intent, you need to own the impact. So 
in a similar way, even though you may not intend to cause hurt by your contrary position, only impact of the power of that polarizing position and how hurtful it can be to someone and own up to that. Don't deny the position that you have. You don't need to recant or, or necessarily uh, uh, reject the position that you have, but at least own that it has a hurtful impact on other people and that you're sorry for that, that you're sensitive to that, that you hope that that wouldn't be the case and that, that you don't want to hurt people that way. And then finally, I would say in all of these, peacemaking involves gentleness. Peacemaking involves gentleness. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. As much as being a peacemaker involves certain things that we can do or say, it's not just about pr providing the right content or going about the right activity. There's a manner in which we can do and say what we do and say as we seek to be a peacemaker that goes a long way toward building bridges as opposed to tearing things apart. Bible says that the fruit of God's spirit in part is, gen is gentleness. This is something that we often don't bring to the table, but something that the spirit of God wants to do and bring and stir and grow among us. Which is why we're talking about peacemaking as a heart attribute that God can grow and build in us today. So as you're reflecting personally, and as you're thinking about, you know, the, the conversation you're going to have with friends and as life groups this week, you know, stop and consider some things today. You know, are there areas in your life where you find yourself polarized with other people because you have contrary opinions and beliefs and convictions than they do? Have you ever considered before the power of those contrary polarizing positions and that you may be experiencing hurt or and may be causing hurt in people around you simply by the contrary polarizing positions that you hold. Have you ever realized that even if you don't intend to, even if they, you're behaving kindly and lovingly, or whatever, simply holding those positions may be creating division, if not creating enemies in your midst. And then thirdly, are you willing to be a person who says, it's not okay that these contrary positions divide us. It's not okay that these barriers exist. It's not, not okay that people are hurt or offended based on the things that I believe. I'm going to try to be a person in the power of Jesus and his transforming work in me. I'm going to be the kind of person who builds those bridges and as far as it depends on me is living at peace with everyone. Whether they share my beliefs and convictions and opinions that I hold dear or not. I'm going to be a bridge builder, not a relationship breaker. I'm going to be a peacemaker, not a conflict provider. Gang, I feel like this is a real timely conversation for us these days, especially where we're finding ourselves in this conversation of, of love beyond belief in this Gospel of Us series. You know, we've been at this now for you know, probably a good six months and it's starting to kind of catch and people are starting to kind of get amped up about this. I know at Vision Night, I had a number of great conversations with people who are really excited about the direction that God's leading us. But I know that in the world of, you know, change and change management as a community, not everyone gets on board right away. You know, lots of people, it takes longer to understand and process and, and kind of track with. And so, you know, I understand that these days we find ourselves kind of all over the map in understanding and and embracing this idea of love beyond belief. The danger, though, of what I'm sensing these days is that 
while a number of people are getting excited and embracing this new paradigm or this new way of of seeing a, a, a posture that can hold positions instead of just holding positions that you know unify and divide and 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 you know subcategorize around you know these these ideological linkages i'm seeing some people still processing this new idea in the old paradigm they're not seeing necessarily love beyond belief as a as a new paradigm or as a posture of holding ideas they're seeing love beyond belief just as another idea that they can either agree or disagree with they can either accept or reject and they're going to unite with people who see things similarly to the way that they do and what i'm noticing and i've mentioned this before what what scares me about this journey is the way that the very idea of love beyond belief can itself become an issue that divides people from people even though it intends to be a posture that supersedes dividing over issues We want love beyond belief to ultimately become a way that we can relate to one another that unifies us even if we differ on issues. But right now I'm seeing in some cases love beyond belief becoming its own divisive issue potentially. And I know by now that when things become divisive issues potentially, the power of polarizing positions can do really detrimental things in and among people. So knowing that, you and I have a choice today of whether we're going to let that happen. And wherever we are, even on the spectrum of love beyond belief, never, never mind on the spectrum of all kinds of other things that we can believe and have strong opinions about, even or especially on the idea of love beyond belief, no matter where we find ourselves, if we find ourselves experiencing, you know, in our own kind of emotional gut or in our relationships with people close to us or as a life group, you know, we find ourselves in creating distance and division. Let's be people who are not okay with that. Let's be people who take the responsibility to own rebuilding those relational bridges. Let's be people who take that initiative, who who exercise forgiveness and apology and who do it with gentleness and respect. Let's be people who are peacemakers, even as we're experiencing the power of polarizing positions in our lives real time today. I want to remind us, we got into this because of the immense dividedness within the Christian church that we're sensing these days and the even greater polarization of the Christian church with the watching world and feel like this is the only way that we can grow forward and go forward in a way that's more productive and healthy and expressive of who Jesus is. We've said again and again and again that in all of this, we have one shot, one opportunity to actually answer the one prayer of the one person who answers all of ours. That before he gave his life up for the sin of you and me, Jesus prayed one prayer that his disciples would be one and the world would know the Jesus whom God sent because of our oneness. That's why we're doing this, gang. Because we get the opportunity to answer the one prayer of the one who answers all of ours. And today, I hope that we'll all be amped up to do that through allowing God to grow in our hearts the posture of peacemaking. Let's pray together. Well, God in heaven, thank you for this journey that you have us on. And thank you that you continue to want to not only love on us, but change us from the inside out in a way that only your Holy Spirit can. 
I pray today that you would give all of us a new aha level of awareness. That it's not just the way that we behave or relate to people that can cause division and hurt and offense, but actually in the positions themselves that we hold. Help us to appreciate with a greater sobriety and clarity the power of polarizing positions. And God, in response to that, move in our hearts even right now and help us to not be satisfied or okay with that. Help us to feel the urgency to do something about it, to close those gaps, to build those bridges, to restore those divides, and to live out the biblical value and the character of Jesus that you bless as peacemaking. Help us to learn what that is to a greater degree. Help us this week even to process as groups and as friends how we can become that more and more every day. And thanks for the work that you want to do in our hearts, in our lives, and in our church to make us those peacemaking people so that we can be people who answer that one prayer of you. Thank you that you answer all of our prayers. Thank you that you're going to answer these prayers. We look forward to watching you work. We pray your love and protection and grace across our community for Jesus' sake. Amen.